Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 14. Well, if I'm not mistaken, this is the third in our series on the devil's dangerous devices. We've already talked about the matter of deception and the matter of diversion. And so today we're going to look at the, uh, the subject of doubt. And, and without a doubt, this must be one of Satan's most deadly devices. Way back in Genesis, in chapter number 3, you don't need to turn there, you're familiar with the story, but it tells us that the first thing that Satan did in bringing about the fall of man was to question God's Word. He said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question mark. And so this question was designed to instill doubt in her mind as related to the statement that God had made. Now we look back upon that historical event, but we need to remember that Eve isn't the only one who has a problem in this area. This has been a nagging problem for man all throughout history. And about the time that you think that, boy, I've got this well in hand, that all of the doubts are gone, all of the fears have vanished. Uh, just about that time, something will happen to knock you off of your feet and you'll, your spiritual equilibrium will get upset and, and, and you'll find yourself in a place that maybe you thought, you know, I, I, I'll just never be. And uh, so it's a matter that we have to deal with. And thinking about that, uh, I think of all of the different examples found in the Bible that we could use in talking about the subject. And, and so it's hard to just pick out one and say, okay, this really deals with the whole issue. But since we're speaking mainly to Christian people here tonight, I think maybe one of the best examples we can look at is found here in Matthew chapter 14. And let's begin in verse number 22, because this shows you that even after you've been saved, you're not exempt from this problem of doubt. And so let's read the story. Verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when even was come, uh, he, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, so the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me uh, come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? 
Now, in this story, we find the Lord putting his disciples in a situation where their faith is put to the test. It says he constrained them, and that word literally means to make necessary. Uh, I don't think he had to stick a gun in their back and force them into the ship, but he made it necessary. In no uncertain terms, he insisted, fellas, get in the ship, go to the other side, I'll see you later. And so God sometimes puts us in situations it becomes out of necessity we find ourselves there and wonder how did we get there because we love the Lord we're following the Lord you know we're supposed to be exempt from problems like that and now we're smack dab in a problem that tells us that we can be in the will of God and in a storm at the same time and so that's where the disciples find themselves but what they don't understand at this point is that the storm was designed to be an opportunity rather than an obstacle. Opportunity. It's an opportunity for them, and yet, obviously, they fail, and the Lord rebuked them for their lack of faith. So let's examine this story tonight. And there are four things that I want you to think about in light of what we've just read. And the first thing is this, that doubt reveals our lack of faith. We measure our faith by our doubts. Have you ever thought about that? We measure our faith by our doubts. Because certainly if our faith is strong as it ought to be, we're not going to have those nagging doubts. As the one increases, the other decreases in direct proportion to the other. And it's one thing for us to trust Christ as our Savior It's another thing for us to live by faith. So, you know, we can trust the Lord as our Savior, and so we know that we're saved. We have no doubt about that, but living by faith is an entirely different matter. And one of the problems that we have, and it's always existed, it's not something new that cropped up just in this last generation, but one of the problems is there are too many unbelieving believers They believe in the sense that Christ died for them. They are trusting Him. They believe that they're saved. They're certain about that. But they have a problem when it comes to faith in other areas of their life. Now, I know we'd all like to think that we have matured to the point that we don't entertain those doubtful thoughts. But again, as I said, you mark it down about the time you think that you've arrived at that place, something will happen. As you know, I believe very strongly that under normal circumstances that Christians do not doubt their salvation. I mean, how can, how can we be saved by faith and not know whether we're saved or not? So I make that statement and I'm emphatic about it. At the same time, I realize that a person can fall off a horse, hit their head, They won't know where they live. They might not even know their name for a while. So there can be those physiological problems that contribute to the doubt. And also there can be psychological problems, emotional distress, trauma that would cause us to momentarily at least begin to doubt things that we've been sure about at other times. 
And uh, so I think, I think we could say that is in part the case with Peter here. He is scared to death. I mean, these waves, and by the way, Peter and some of the others, they lived their life out on the sea. They know what a storm is like. They know the danger and so forth. So this is something beyond your average little storm sweeping across the lake. This is serious business, and he realizes it to the point that he is frightened. Well, they're all frightened. But the problem wasn't with the wind and with the waves. The problem had to do with their lack of faith. And so it's their, their attitude, not something external that caused his fall. He said, Lord, if it's really you, just, you know, bid me to come out and walk on the water. And the Lord said, well, come on. I, I wonder what his first thought was. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he wasn't shocked by that, but I, I would have been really shocked. Oh, you mean you're going to answer that prayer? I prayed, Lord, that you'd let me walk on water, and you, really? And, and sometimes we find ourselves in that place. We ask God to do something, and so he does it, and then we're shocked about it. Yeah. You know, I've heard people say, well, boy, if you have any doubt, and I understand what the Bible teaches about, you know, doubt, and we can't expect God to hear us. So I understand that. But I'll tell you what, I'm thankful to God for the prayers that I prayed that I really doubted would be answered. I mean, I'm, it's just that God was good enough in spite of my fault that God answered those prayers anyway. It's kind of like God saying, I'll show you I can. You don't think I can? Just, just watch. And, and he did. So Peter says, Lord, let me come walking on the water. And he did at least for a while. And whenever he saw the, the wind and the waves, all of a sudden he becomes fearful. Listen, doubt always gets us into trouble. And it does so because it causes us to question God's wisdom and God's concern. It causes us to ignore God's promises. When, think about it. God allows something to come into your life. I'm talking about come into the life of someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart. And all of a sudden, we, you know, our question is, Lord, is it really necessary for me to go through this? Couldn't, couldn't I learn this lesson some other way? We question God's wisdom. And there are some folks, you know, foolish enough to question, well, maybe God doesn't love me as much as I thought he did, because if he really loves me that much, why would he allow something like this to happen to me? And so then we turn around and we ignore those exceeding great and precious promises that he's given. We just ignore that. We know them. We can quote them. Romans eight twenty eight. it's on the tip of our tongue. We know exactly what it says. But in the crisis, all of a sudden, we ignore all of that. Seemingly, without any thought whatsoever, that what we're doing is insulting to God. It's inferring that God is lying. God says, look, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And when we doubt that, it's as though we are saying that that might not be altogether true. Because if we really believe that's true, we're going to be of a much calmer disposition, don't you, don't you think? Of course we would. 
because we have that confidence that whatever this is, whatever it came, whatever it's supposed to do, I know in some way God's going to use this for good. As I was thinking about this this afternoon, I got home and opened up the Bible and I knew what I was going to preach, but I wanted to just read over those verses again. And uh, the thought that came to me was this. I wish that, that we were as concerned about our faith as we are about the faith. Now, don't misunderstand, because the faith, I'm talking about that body of truth that we believe, the Word of God, the fundamentals of our faith, the great doctrines of the Bible, that is crucial. It's so very important. But that's not all there is to it because there's a lot of folks, you know, that can, they, they, they can boast loud and long about what they believe. We are unaffiliated, independent, premillennial, Baptist, and go down the list and we've got it all exactly right. We've dotted every I and crossed every T. But then we don't have enough faith for it to make any difference. It's important what we believe, but if we don't have the faith that goes along with it, we can't really accomplish anything for the Lord. So we put all of this emphasis then on what we believe, and the, the whole crux of the matter is this, and that is it's who we believe that really matters the most. Because you see, if like... Whenever Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able, you know. Whenever we've got that settled, we know who we believe. That takes care of what we believe, right? Because we believe all of our doctrine comes straight from the teaching of the Lord. And so if we settle that, I'm going to believe the Lord. We think about the, the problems that, that, that we're in in the world today, all of the troubles that we face and so forth, and we wonder, how can there be such a great divide among the people? Reduce it down to America, for example. America, the land of the free, and here in America where we have been so mightily blessed, so privileged in so many different ways, and how can it be that we have about a 50-50 divide? And when I say that, I'm talking about an extreme divide. We're not even close to being in agreement with one another. One bunch believes it's okay to butcher little babies and the other person condemns that. So what, what is the fundamental factor in all of this what is the thing that's at the heart of the matter? It all boils down to who we believe. It all boils down to one group believes the Word of God and the other group, regardless of what they say, they do not believe the Word of God because if they believed God and what God said, then what they do would be much different than what it is. One of the very first verses that every Christian ought to memorize is Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, we all, if I ask the question, now, how many of you want to please God? I suspect every person here would raise their hand and say, yes, that's me. I want to please God. I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. Of course you do. But then sometimes we say that and we totally ignore the problem that is in our life. And that problem 
is that of doubt, a lack of faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's still true today, just as true as it was in the day that the Holy Spirit inspired, I believe, Paul to write those words. The second thing about this matter of doubt is that doubt results in fear. Notice verse number 30. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. I just talked about these troublesome times that we live in. And so many people today are overwhelmed by fear. Bev and I was sitting in the living room this afternoon and talking about uh, different things. But a part of the conversation had to do with the with the impact that the coronavirus is and has had on, on the world and especially on people, you know, even here in America. We've got people that, believe me, that never, ever entertained the thought of something so foolish as to commit suicide. And there are people, you know, that's tottering on the brink, as it were. They're so emotionally distraught. These are troublesome times in which we live. There are others that are so, so anxious about the uh, condition of our country and, the, uh, you know, and, and its future because we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Oh, we'd all like to think there's going to be this great sweeping revival that will sweep across the land and, and God's going to change it all. And God could and God would, believe me, but he's not going to do so against our will. And so we look at the situation, and, and boy, we don't see much hope on the horizon because there are no signs, no indications that people are willing to turn back to God. So when we look at all of these troubles and what have you, all of a sudden, whether you call it anxiety, whether you call it uh, worry or whatever, it amounts to the same thing, and that's fear. And fear is the result of doubt because when we are full of faith, we're going to have peace, peace that passeth all understanding. We're going to have joy. Whenever, whenever we're full of faith, we have joy. We have hope. In fact, hope is another word for faith. It is faith in regards to, to, to the future. We, we hope, that is, we believe in as the Bible says, we're saved by hope, and our hope is in the future. We're not wishing we have our faith rooted and grounded in the promises of God. But without that faith, we are, we are overwhelmed by fear, by sorrow, and despair. Because whenever doubt begins, that's where our faith ends and fear follows. You know, I, I, as I said at the beginning, I doubt that anything really hinders us more than doubt. There are people, I'm talking about people that have been saved. I'm talking about people that, that, that have great ability that God has given to them. And yet, they are absolutely paralyzed by fear. There are even churches that are afraid to do the things that they should and by the way, there's usually more than one doubting Thomas in every congregation. It seems like, and I, I could name churches today, and I've known churches 
over the years that have been plagued by a pessimistic attitude, somebody always looking on the dark side, someone in the church that is very influential, and they just absolutely are a wet blanket to everything anybody wants to do because especially in a lot of the little country churches that I've preached in, and there'll be someone that maybe he's the patriarch of the family, you know, and boy, everybody looks up to him. He's been a pillar in that church for all of these years. So when you go to vote on something, they're going to look over and see whether he raises his hand or not, and they're, they're going to vote the same way. And you get someone in there like that. You know, it's suggested that we take on five new missionaries this year. And all of a sudden, Mr. Doubt-It-All has his hand up, and he's got a suggestion, you know, and so he throws that out there, and all of a sudden, the hopes and dreams of doing more mission work is dashed to pieces, all because of fear, and the fear is created by a lack of faith. You see, what we need to do, and you think about those churches that have literally been crippled for years because some doubting Thomas, you know, in business meetings, that just kills it all. And how sad that is. What we need to do is to discover through prayer exactly what it is that God, what God wants us to do and then determine to do it irregardless of the cost, because if God really wants us to do it, God's going to be in it, and God's going to provide for it, and we just need to trust Him. So doubt results in fear, and fear is a horrible, terrible, crippling thing to our lives. Number three, doubt ruins our testimony. You know, as Christian people, we're known as, as a lot of different things, but one of the key words that we're known by is believers. Now think about it. We are known as believers. So consequently, whenever we doubt and whenever we live in fear, it shatters our testimony. I mean, what do you suppose the world thinks whenever they see our lack of faith? You're sitting in the doctor's office somewhere, you know, and you're discussing world affairs with someone you never met before, but during the conversation, you know, you get to talking. And so you invite them to church and they say, oh, yeah, where do you go to church? Oh, I, I, I'm a Baptist. I go down there to that Lakeway Baptist Church. I really like you all to come on down there. We'd love to have you. And so the conversation continues on and you get to talking about, you know, not only the upcoming election, but you get to talking about all the other issues of life. And here you are, a doubting Thomas. Doom and gloom, everything you say. And believe me, what you say and, and, and how you interact with that person makes a, makes a huge difference. Because your testimony as a believer is on the line, and make no mistake about it, they're going to judge you, and they're going to judge the Lord by what they see in you. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 17. Let me just give you an example of something I'm talking about. Chapter 17, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to them a certain man kneeling down to him, saying, 
Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, and oft time he falleth into the fire and off into the water. Now, here's a man with a really serious problem. His son just isn't quite right. In one minute he's in the fire, the next minute he's drowning in the water. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. Now, next verse. And I brought him to thy disciples. Now, I wonder why he did that. Well, it's because he had heard about them, and probably he had heard from them. It might be that some of them had witnessed to this man about his need to put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So for some reason, he brings the boy to the disciples, and they could not cure him. And then Jesus answereth and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer? That is, allow you, bring him hither to me. Well, you know the rest of the story. Jesus did what they failed to do. Understand that the successfulness of our work depends a great deal upon what other people see in us. I mean, our testimony has great power. Don't ever underestimate the power of your testimony. Sometimes it has more power than, than a sermon that they'll hear when they come to church. They hear the sermon, you know, and they might just tune it out or they might agree with it, but for whatever reason, it doesn't have much effect on them. But boy, whenever they see you putting the Word of God, the truths of God's Word into shoe leather and living it out, throughout the week and week after week after week let me tell you that speaks to them that gets their attention they might not agree with anything you believe about the doctrines of the bible they might not believe that jesus arose from the grave they might not believe that he is the son of god they might not believe in all of the wonderful promises that he has given to us. They might not believe anything, but they'll be impressed by your belief in the Lord. So how can we expect others to believe what we teach unless they see the difference that it makes in our life? It makes a big difference. Whether you're at a family reunion or in a coffee shop, on the job, in the classroom, at school, wherever you are, understand that, that your attitude in regards to this matter of faith is of great importance because Satan knows that if he can cause you to doubt, he can, he can keep us from being what we ought to be and doing what we ought to do. All through Hebrews, I, I was so privileged. I didn't think so at the time. But I was so privileged within... Within, I think, the first six months after I was saved, my pastor started a series of messages from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I mean, he just took his time and he was going through every verse and, you know, kind of like I do today a lot of times, you know, just wading through it, getting all of the nuggets out of it and 
And here I was, a young Christian, and I was so anxious to learn. I wanted to know everything. I, and I'm right now, I, I didn't have any patience. I wanted to learn it all, and right now, I got so frustrated to come back to church and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. My first thought was, oh, no, not again. Let's go on to something else. And it took me a while maybe a year even, before I began to realize what a great privilege that was to have been exposed to the great truths there in Hebrews chapter 11 because that entire chapter reminds us of the great importance of a, of a godly testimony. It is a testament as to the faith of those who trusted God and those who were used mightily of the Lord. I remember years ago, Dad Dad never talked about religion at all. Never saw Dad with the Bible in his hand. He's never a part of any conversation. But Dad came home from work. They had hired a young man there that uh, was working under him. And, uh, and Dad was so impressed by this young He was so impressed, in fact, that he invited this guy to go squirrel hunting with us. With just me, and that was a big deal. Dad didn't just invite; he didn't want people to know our secret spots and stuff. And Dad said, "You know, I've been, I've invited him to come to church." And so Mom was there and was having this conversation. And he began to talk. He said, "You know, I've never heard that guy say a cuss word. He, he he's always happy. He's always smiling. He went on and on and on." You know, and uh, of course, I wasn't all that impressed at the time. But years later, I, I began to realize that that man had a real impact on my dad just by his behavior. And I'm telling you, like the old saying, you're the only Bible some people will ever read. They're watching you. And they need to see that your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that what he's done for others, he can do for you. Now, one more thing. And that's the fact that doubt robs us of blessings. You know, not only does the Bible give us all of these great examples that I've just mentioned there in Hebrews 11. Boy, we look at those people and we are inspired. You know, we want to be like those people. And well, we should. That ought to thrill our heart. Lord, give me that kind of faith. Help me to be willing to launch out on what appears to be nothing and trust you for everything. So we look at those examples, but the Bible also does exactly the same thing in regards to what doubt can do. Every one of you could make a list, right? I don't know who would be on the top of your list, but we can all think of different ones. I think about Sarah when she laughed at God. God said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you an Abe, a son. Here she is so far up in years, and she's laughing at what God said. She is doubting that God would do what he promised. Then I think about Abraham and the fact that Abraham, due to a lack of faith. Now, this is the father of faith, this great man of God, and he took Hagar. And man, the world is still living with the problems caused by that. I'm serious. 
You think about all of the dissension over there in the Middle East, all of the stuff that is going on. It all goes way back there to where instead of believing God, he comes up with what is supposedly an alternate plan. I've got an idea. Maybe when God said he'll give us a son, maybe he, maybe he expected me to just, you know, use my imagination. And, and by the way, Sarah is, is the one that was the instigator of this. You know, that cute little maid I've got, you know, Hagar, you could have a child with her and then we'll have a boy. What a mess. All is a result of doubt, a lack of faith. I think about Lot. I think about Lot's family and the fact that they perished, and they perished because of a lack of faith. I think about Jacob and Jacob cheating his brother Esau. Why would he do that? He did so because of a lack of faith. Instead of trusting God to work everything out, he supposedly has a better plan. And then I think about Israel as a nation murmuring in the wilderness against God and God's man and dying in the wilderness as a result. You talk about costing them something, it costs them dearly to think about all of those fresh dug graves as a result of doubt because they said, well, they're giants in the land. We, we can't do that. Joshua and Caleb said, come on, boys. Ain't nothing to worry about. You know, God's with us. God's going to take care of this. And the, the, uh, the others resisted that. And the people followed the majority. And the majority was wrong. And it cost them dearly. I think about Saul when Saul disobeyed God. And the call, it cost him his kingdom. Not immediately, but God said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. You refuse to do what I said because you won't trust me. And what's the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen, you know, the old prophet said. And all that, you know. Saul knows he's done wrong. He said, oh yeah, I thought it would be a good idea for me to keep them alive and bring them back. And we're going to sacrifice them to God. That was a lie. They had no intention of really doing that, I don't think, because it was wrong. It was, it was a lack of their, their faith in God. I think about Peter in our story, our text, and Peter began to sink. Why? It's not because the waves got so high that he no longer could walk on the water. It's because his faith got so low that he began to sink. And then I think about Thomas and all oh, the grief. To think about the good news that he is alive, he is risen from the grave. And Thomas said, man, I, I, I can't believe that. I'll have to stick my hand in his side before I can believe something like that. He's, he's heartbroken, he's grieving, and it's all because of a lack of faith. I am so convinced that God wants to do far more for us than what we normally allow him to do and that we limit God. Just like Israel in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Oh God, help us to never ever be guilty of that. Let's let God do whatever he wants to do. Let's pray until we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is what God wants. That's the direction he wants us to go go in and regardless of what the world thinks we need to do it and believe God's going to take care of it now 
There's not one person here that would even for a second entertain the thought of allowing a thief to enter into your home and take whatever he wanted. Just suppose some perfect stranger knocked on your door and said, you know, uh, you look like a really nice person. And I notice that every Sunday that you get in the car and about a certain time that you leave, and I was just wondering, this time, would you mind leaving the door open? There's a few things I need, and and if you don't mind, I I wanted to come by and just help myself to some things. We wouldn't dream about doing that because our valuables are all in the house there. There are things that we hold dear. We wouldn't entertain that thought for a moment. And, and, and then we turn right around and entertain doubt in our mind that robs us of things that are of much greater value than any of these earthly treasures. Boy, to think about what Think about what doubt can take away from us is awful. And so to see this danger that we're in whenever we ignore the need for faith, maybe one of the best places to see that is there in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking about the devil's dangerous devices. Listen to what Paul says in verse 16 now. This is about the armor of God that we're to put on. And he says, above all, Taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know, in those days, it was common for the armies, you know, to, to put a piece of cloth around uh, their, their arrows and put pitch on it, set it on fire, lob that into the city, shoot that at the enemy, and uh, you can imagine the damage that that would do. And so... Paul is saying, you take the shield of faith. Why? Notice, to be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You see, Satan is lobbing those fiery missiles at us all of the time. And that's the way that that faith works against those fiery darts of the wicked one. We're able to block those. Now, I understand how easy it is for any of us to, to all of a sudden find ourselves doubting something that we thought we had settled. And I warn you again, don't assume that it can't happen to you because it can. You'll begin to doubt certain things in your life and, and sometimes you, you won't have any clue as to what, what brought it about. It's just there. And the wonderful thing about it is whenever this happens, there's something that we can do about it. You, look, you can't stop it from happening. Those fiery darts are coming in your direction. You can't, you can't stop that in one sense of the word. And Satan will put doubts in your mind. But you can always have an answer for those doubts so that you block them. And that answer is the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Isn't it great that we have in our hands right here, we have the solution to that problem. And, and again, that's why I keep saying, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, consider him. That's why in Philippians chapter 4, I, I was so excited this week, somebody 
I think it was in a text or it might have been a phone call. Somebody was talking about uh, what a great blessing it was, a verse that they had uh, memorized, he will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Isn't, isn't that a great verse? And that takes us right back to looking to Jesus in Philippians 4, where he said, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what? Think on these things. And all of the things that he mentions there are all characteristic of the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith affects every single area of our life. It, it will inspire our heart like nothing else can do. And boy, we need that. It'll improve our behavior because whenever our, whenever our faith in God is strong, it changes the way that we behave. It'll increase our courage. It'll cause us to accept challenges that we would run from before. It will ignite the passion that is within us and inflame our zeal. And boy, let me tell you, it'll impress your neighbor. It'll make an impression on others. It'll even improve your health. It does more things than we can even begin to imagine. And I mentioned that because to be unconcerned about the matter of faith is foolish. Go back to the thief. You wouldn't let him in. Don't allow, don't allow your doubts to control your behavior and to ruin your day. And whenever they do come, just open up the Word of God. Get into the Word and as Paul said, think about this, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, it's one thing to win, but boy, sometimes you can win the fight, but you come out with a broken arm, some teeth knocked out, you're battered and bruised. Oh, you won the fight, but you are a mess. But he said, we're more than conquerors. We don't just win, we win big time. And the, I'll leave you with this because this is what the, the Apostle John left us with over in the First John chapter number 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Aren't you glad that there is a means whereby that we can recover our faith? And thank, thank God Peter had the good sense when he began to sink, to cry out unto the Lord. He didn't say, well, wow, this is the end. It's all over, you know, and, and, and not say anything. He immediately responded to his problem by calling out on the Lord. And I'm so glad that you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find grace and mercy to help in a time of need. Amen? Because he's promised that he'll help us through those difficulties. And it's up to us whether we're going to believe him or not. You say, yeah, but it's so hard. This living by faith. Look, you live by faith every day. Faith in something. You see, it's the object. That makes the difference. Amen. You have faith in your banker that the money's going to be there whenever you write a check. Yeah, you've got faith in the doctor when he gives a prescription that he can't even read, goes to a pharmacy you never met, you take some pills you've never seen before, and the doctor said, This is going to help you. Really? 
faith, but the faith is in the doctor, you see. The faith is in the bank. The object of faith, it makes all the difference in the world. Amen. When we believe him, we know, we know we're on the right track. All right, let's stand together. Father, forgive me and forgive us of the times that we, uh, that Lord, that we doubt. The times, Heavenly Father, that we, uh, we really wonder whether or not you'll carry through on a promise. Lord, it is such a shameful thing, and, and Lord, I just pray you'll, you'll help me to be a better example to others, to, to believe your promises. And Lord, I, I know that just having a positive attitude, putting a positive spin on, on bad problems is not going to change the issue. Lord, what we really need is faith in you to, to believe that you'll do what you promised you would. So help us to not have some kind of a pie-in-the-sky sort of religion, you know, that just thinks that everything's going to be all right, but that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have everything under control, and we just need to believe you. And Lord, tonight I pray that you'll help your people through these tough times. There might be someone here tonight struggling with something in particular in their life, some great difficulty, some great need in their life. And I pray tonight that you'll help them to help them to realize that you have the answer, that you are the answer. And they'll turn to you. And as Peter cried out, Lord, help, may they cry out for your help here tonight. But we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen.